Good day and welcome to the Climate Change Therapy Podcast, a product of BlockRadius.net, your most trusted online media outlet for urban planning and unrelated topics. Today is Thursday, October 29th, 2020, and I'm your host, Hank Felsman. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, this is the podcast where we talk about climate change because it's an important issue to the fate of human beings, that's you and me, and of all of life on Earth. And as a society, we don't talk about it as much as you would think, given the sheer magnitude of the threat it poses. It's kind of like having a picnic on the railroad tracks and not talking about the train, even when you hear that old whistle whining in the form of hurricanes, wildfires, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But today, we have something a little bit different, a very special episode for you, as we do have the 2020 election presidential election to contend with, if you haven't heard, just around the corner, five days away. So in other words, a more immediate, specific cause for anxiety and let's be honest, therapy than climate change at the moment. An election that already, due to COVID alone, is the strangest election I can remember in my lifetime. Lots of mail-in voting, long lines, plus the acknowledged foreign interference, Russia, Iran, et cetera, et cetera. And least of all, the implications for climate change. The candidates hold very different views on the subject. Trump's view is that doing anything about it will hurt the economy and you can't make the cure worse than the disease, if that rationale sounds familiar. And Biden has, on the other hand, a plan. Let's just say he has a plan to do something about it. And therein lies the difference. Uh, Short story. We'll get into this and more coming up with our very special guest, Block Radius's own senior political chief analyst, my cousin Jeremy, whose credentials include, among others, knowing everything there is to know about politics, plus more. I'll let him introduce himself in just a minute. But first, we've got to take a moment, as always, to thank our sponsor, Roland Cases, the most rocking suitcases on wheels. Roland Cases. Whether you're planning an overnight in the Berkshires to admire the fall foliage, buy some medical marijuana, buy some recreational marijuana and weep at its beauty and the fond memories it awakens in your soul are God willing forced to flee to Canada on November 4th. If they'll even take you in roll in cases are the suitcases on wheels for you and your life's journey roll in cases. And now ladies, gentlemen, listeners, old and new, I bring you the 2020 election preview special edition episode of climate change therapy with my cousin, Jeremy. All right. Cousin Jeremy, how are you doing this evening? I'm, uh, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm just trying, you know, I'm here drinking my angry orchard, which is, uh, pretty appropriate for my 2020 mood and just trying to not think about next Tuesday while simultaneously only thinking about next Tuesday. How are well, you? Well, let's uh, let's talk about it. Um, I introduced you as yes. someone who knows more about politics than um, than even anyone, even Jeffrey Tubin. Uh, do you want to take a moment and introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah, that's um, very. That was a very flattering introduction. Um, thank you for really setting me up for for massive success here and uh, <laughs> being able to answer everything that comes my way. But um, hi everyone, I'm cousin Jeremy. I'm Hank's cousin. 
I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I um, run a, well, I should say I work uh, in nonprofit fundraising and I've worked in nonprofit fundraising for the last three and a half years. Um, and uh, on top of all my work stuff, I run a bi-weekly blog called uh, The Breakdown, which I have not written in two years because I've been too emotionally distraught, uh, but in theory it's bi-weekly and I- Sounds like Black Radius. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you guys are a little more frequent than I, but uh, but I have been in therapy since probably like November eighth, twenty sixteen. Okay, huh. here we go. I'm excited to be here. What has Not your, really, but what I mean, has I have, your, but oh, we're excited to have you. Um, just qu- very, very real quick, what has that yeah. therapy entailed? It's honestly mostly entailed just therapy that I've been doing beforehand, but with a shift in focus specifically on what's going on in our country and climate change has uh, has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. From the yeah. internal conflicts to the external. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Shift. So taking wanna, a big picture approach. <laughs> I want to lead off with the first question we ask every guest um, mm-hmm. is, is how do you think and talk about climate change in your everyday life? Um, we slightly modified this in March uh, to before and after COVID because that mm-hmm. became uh, more of something to, to need therapy about. Um, but just in general, just at your job with your friends, family, Thanksgiving Day table, how do you talk about climate change and think or think about it? Yeah, so I think that, you know, I've grown up in a part of the country and in a generation where it's... Um, been very much at the forefront of conversations pretty much my whole life that I can remember. I mean, I remember, for instance, like my um, my grandparents, not on our side, on the other side, they had, you know, a house on the Cape when I was growing up. And every summer as we were getting into like our teens and into our 20s and we would go there, there would be this beach that we would go to called the Spit. And every summer we went, we would notice that the beach part was getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, just as like the the ground eroded and as the ocean was coming in as the sea levels are rising and so that's just like an example of just a tangible image that i saw of climate change my whole life um and i think you know with my friends and like i said with the part of the country that i grew up with in it was just always a part of the psyche and conscience and i've been talking with friends about it since like as long as i can remember pretty much really so when you talk with friends about climate change, what aspects of it do you talk about? You mentioned thinking about sea level rise when you go to the beach um, is, and being in, in Boston as you are, much of that was, is built on reclaimed land or very low, uh, very low elevation. Is, is sea level rise the main thing you're, you're thinking and talking about or what it would? I'd say yeah, around sea level rise and like the melting of the glaciers, et cetera, things like that. Gotcha. And has, has the way that you think or talk about climate change changed since March? Um, since March, no, but I actually will say since the last election in 2016, I do think that it is, at least amongst the people in my circles, it has become so much more of an anxiety producer just around what our government is or is not doing around the impending crisis of climate change and the threat that it poses to all of us. And I think it's taken on a new level of, um, of importance and just of direness that I don't 
feel that my friends really talked about with the same, uh, with the same type of concern or fear that we had before the last election took place. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In 2016, climate change was hardly mentioned. Um, whereas in 2020, at least the Democratic primary, it kind of became a big issue. It was right up there. Uh, if if it wasn't neck and neck with healthcare, it was, you know, 1B. Um, you know, shout outs to uh, Jay Inslee uh, from Seattle. Uh, yeah. Producing that. Uh, he was in, in the race for a short time, but he, you know, he really uh, moved the bar on that. Um, Absolutely. And I would just, I would say that in uh, Sanders, yeah. They did, yes. Um, I think Warren too had some really uh, awesome views about, you know, what it means to produce green energy in the United States and bringing what we've outsourced back overseas back here and tying it back into the economic opportunities that actually come with investing in renewable and clean energy. Um, you mentioned Jane's, I actually think that Jay Inslee is a potential uh, head of the EPA in a Biden administration. And I would, I would love that potentially knock on wood, but I was yes. thinking the same thing today, <laughs> yeah. honestly, reading some of, of Biden's policies. Um, but before we get too far into the weeds, sure. I just want let just take me back to 2016 uh, election night. Where were you? What was your mindset going in and your mindset coming out? Uh, um, mindset going in. So I was actually very nervous. I was a lot more nervous than a lot of my friends. And, you know, I think in a little bit, we can dive a bit into like what why I was nervous back then seeing the polls versus where I'm at this year with seeing the polls and how these are two different races. But it seemed, I think when the Comey letter took place was the moment, you know, when he said that they were reopening the investigation into her emails was the moment that I started to get really fearful about what could happen in the race. And you saw it just in terms of, mm -hmm. That was like one week before the election? One week yeah, it was before, like a, yeah. 10, 10 days, I think, before. And then two days before, he came out and said that she'd been cleared, which is, I think if you look at the data, you, you started to see a slight shift back towards her in the polling, but it was the damage essentially had already been done and millions had already voted in early voting. And it was enough to keep her lead, because she did win the votes, keep her lead small enough for him to flip those three key states that he flipped to win. Um, but so going into election night, to go back to the question, I was um, watching in Brooklyn down the street from my apartment with, uh, with a bunch of friends of mine. And um, were you guys wearing I, masks? We were not wearing masks. I assume it was time, indoors. No. Okay. It was indoors. Yeah. Back oh, but it in was the 2016. Days. Never mind. Yeah, that was back, so long ago. I was going to say yeah, that decades ago, forgot what we life could was actually like. be inside together. But I, uh, so I was pretty nervous. I talked to a friend of mine who followed things closely on the phone. who was pretty nervous. But then I remember the person who was hosting us, who actually was working in like local politics at the time, was not nervous. And then that made me feel a little bit better. And then the results started to come in. And I think, I think it was the moment where they said that Virginia was still too close to call about an hour in. And again, Virginia's on the East Coast, so it's one of the first states to report um, about an hour in that I was like, this is not going the way that ideally I would hope it would go. And clearly it is going to be a long night, if not a disastrous night. And then we saw a little more results come in. And then a couple of friends I was watching with started to have 
you know, some actual anxiety and panic attacks. And as, as much as I'm not proud of this, I in that moment with where I was mentally was just like, I need to go home and go to sleep. And so I left and walked back down the street to my apartment where I got home just in time to see my roommate watching at our kitchen table, watching him win Wisconsin. And my roommate was from Wisconsin. And so that was brutal. And so we had to talk and just debrief a little bit, but also we're in shock. And then um, I... I remember getting ready for bed and I was about to finally go into my room when my other roommate came back from a bar that she'd been at again, pre COVID indoors, lots of people ready to celebrate, uh, but a bar that she'd been at and she walked into the apartment and just saw me and like immediately started crying. And so then I had to stay up another like 30, 45 minutes, um, you know, just talking through things with her and, um, acknowledging for all of us that we were in a different world than we thought we were in. Um, and then I was like, I'm definitely going to be late for work tomorrow. <laughs> I went to sleep and then slept in a bit. And, you know, in the aftermath, I was living in New York city at the time. And the thing you should know about New York city is I believe that by facts, right. Only 13% of the city voted for Trump and that's his hometown. And so people hated him and were horrified by him. And the next day, riding the train into work, what normally is a hustling, bustling New York subway was dead silent. And it was pretty shocking. And it was honestly kind of traumatizing. You just see everyone had tears in their eyes. And like, literally, I, I just remember hearing silence the entire ride into the into Times Square, which is where I worked. Um, yeah. I had a, a similar... I was going to ask yes. that. I was at a, a party with some of my grad school friends. It was a birthday party, election night. No one, you know, no one thought. Wait, who's who's? It's like one of your friends' birthdays. You mean? Yeah, one of my friends' uh, birthdays. We kind of we yeah. just basically threw a party and put the yeah. election on. None of us thought Trump had a chance. Um, yeah, and it wasn't just the polling, but it's everything he had said on. Like we just he had no experience, and Hillary Clinton had. 30 years she all of these in the White yeah. house for eight years and also was secretary of state um she was what the most qualified candidate I, so we just ne never yeah. considered the possibility that trump could actually win it also it almost seemed like he was trying to lose running up for right. the election like we had we thought that he was trying to boost his name boost his brand and boost an audience to start his own network but we didn't think that his plan was ever to win the presidency we were, so we were still and you know what and you know mindset. what i think you were right but anyway <laughs> yeah. keep going <laughs> right because he was still trying to build trump moscow in june right god jeez uh, yeah yeah so and i was we were in pennsylvania um which was Oof. had gone blue in the previous you know several mm -hmm. elections and it went red and that was also east coast so that was a shock. That's when all of us kind of looked at each other and started to get a little nervous. And then quiet, like slowly the night, be, you know, became quiet, a little less partying, a little more, you know, a little less drinking? Uh, happy drinking and a little <laughs> yeah, more exactly. sad drinking. Drinking regardless. regardless. Yeah, instead, instead of like, the, instead of people were saying like, hey, you want another beer? It became, I was like, I'm going to get another beer. <laughs> Or I'd be like, go from margarita to just like straight whiskey. <laughs> just like bourbon. <laughs> oh my God. So wow. 
And then, but the next day also Philadelphia, like New York went overwhelmingly over 80% for yeah. Hillary. Plus we yeah. had, we had just seen Hillary Clinton was just um, in Philly for, a couple nights for before that final speak, night yeah, with Barack rally, Obama right? and Bruce yeah. Springsteen. Yeah. yeah. But the next yeah. day, you know, just like you, I remember riding the train and looking around and seeing everybody very silent. It was also, but it was also kind of powerful in a, in a positive way, only in the sense that, you know, at Philadelphia kind of never felt more united in defeat. Right. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we were united in defeat, but we were united. So that was, you know, that's where you, you, you try to look for places. Where well, you and I'd, I'd add and another that feeling. Yeah. I'd add another silver lining that I don't think that, especially in the cities and urban areas that that has it all gone away. I mean, from the day after the inauguration with millions upon millions of people getting out there for the women's March, you know, one thing I'm hopeful about is I actually do think that energy is carried through. And I think if you're looking for an example of, of that in practice in politics, you can look at the 2018 midterms and look at what happened to the house that year. Um, Mm -hmm. And how, how they picked up 40 house seats, which was, I think the largest pickup since like 2002 or something for an opposing party. Um, So I just hope that energy is still there. I mean, right now we're seeing enormous turnout across the country for early votes. I think it's hard to sort of glean or determine whether that's because of the pandemic and whether that's, you know, eating into election day voting or whether it really is just this massive increased turnout that we're going to see. And if that's the case in the past, it's, it's benefited the folks that I want to win at least. (laughs) Well, let's pivot right to 2020 then. Sure. Okay? So let's just to juxtapose 20, 2016 with 2020 now, um, swing states. You know, swing states are always going to be the key uh, to, yes. to the elections. Um, I know a little bit about the conversation in Pennsylvania. What do you hear with the swing states in, in 2020? What are, the, so, what are some of the keys? What's the roadmap? Who's ahead? Who's trailing? Yeah. What needs to be done? So the what happened in 2016 that basically got Trump the win is that he flipped three Rust Belt states by less than one percentage point, right? He won in Wisconsin, he won in Michigan, and he won in Pennsylvania. And that was enough to put him over the edge. Um, this year, uh, and I will say that, you know, just to quickly get into polls for a second, in 2016, the polls nationally were not wrong. Nationally, the polls showed that Hillary was going to win by 3.2 points. She won by 2.1 points. And that is well within like a small polling error. So that they were pretty spot on. The state polls were not so much, but they also were not accounting for um, what the electorate looked like in 2016 in ways that I think hopefully the polling firms have adjusted for now. And there's been a lot more polling happening specifically in these three key states that delivered him the win. So what we're seeing right now is that Biden is very well ahead on polling averages in Michigan and Wisconsin um, to the point where, you know, even a massive polling error, it, it would be absolutely shocking at this point, unless there's like a huge systemic problem with polling writ large, if he were to not be able to pull through in those states. Pennsylvania, he currently has a like five or six point lead on average, which is a little bit less, but also puts him in fairly safe territory um, for winning that state. Again, barring anything 
insane that happens between now and Tuesday or whether there's like a massive uh, polling error across the board. Um, and, okay. you know, this is not to say, yeah. I want us to stop you right, right there. Yes. Let's kind of take it sort of state right. by state. You named the three key states, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, if, if we could debate about the reasons Trump won in Wisconsin, in Michigan, uh, but, but why is Biden flipping the script in 2020? And, and, you know, based on your understanding, your, what is your read? Um, well, there are a lot of things that I could go into about 2016 and everything that happened, including a word that starts with an M and ends with misogyny. But, um, but I Fair. think that for whatever reason, um, Clinton turned off a lot of a, a lot of white voters and at the same time was not able to counteract that with getting the turnout that she needed amongst um, non-white voters and amongst younger voters to offset sort of the older white demographic that was voting. But what was key for Trump's win is that he was winning handily amongst seniors and specifically white seniors. This year, in most polls, Joe Biden actually has a lead amongst senior voters. So it shows just a big flip from 2016 to 2020. And the other key thing that's not even true for the Rust Belt, but is true across the country is that, um, and you saw this in the 2018 elections, that uh, in 2016, the suburbs around all these urban areas went for Trump over Clinton. In 2018, the suburbs were the reason, and specifically women in the suburbs were the reason that the Democrats won back the House. And Biden seems to have retained those female suburban white voters. Um, and we can go into, there are other states that I think are really interesting to watch, but the reason why it's key that he's doing better in those states with both white voters writ large and also seniors and also white women is because those are a little bit less diverse of states than you get down to like Georgia or Texas or Florida. And so even winning back that small share of the, um, vote that Clinton lost in 2016 that had previously supported Obama, that would be enough with the margins he won by to flip those states. So, but what issues or reasons are driving these changes um, within demographics? I think, yeah, yeah. I think part of it is that, you know, in, in 2016, Trump was an unknown, like politically, he was an unknown. So he didn't have to run on a governing record. And I think that in the past four years, he has disgusted a lot of people and he has turned a lot of people off and it's not like he has the personality to change his strategy to try to get them back on board. I think at the same time what Biden's and his team have done a very good job of is highlighting Joe's a midwestern roots because he did grow up in Scranton. I think he lived there until he was 11 and so he does have key ties to like the state of Pennsylvania and therefore you know, understands the Midwest in a way that maybe Clinton did not. And I actually also think that he has done a good job, along with all the Democrats this year, and even the candidates in the primary, talking about the issues as it relates back to, like, people's everyday lives and what they are going through day to day. And I think that, you know, obviously, this pandemic has been truly horrific. But one of the things that I think it's offered is a stark contrast between how these two men would handle it and how these two men understand grief and loss and the pain that everyday people are going through, or one of them doesn't understand it. But, um, but Joe has done a very good job, I think, of connecting 
his story to the people who are really suffering. And, you know, right now in Wisconsin, for instance, they're experiencing a massive COVID-19 spike. Right. So, like it's really hitting their state hard and there's nothing that Trump can do to control that. Yeah. The Wisconsin Badgers football team, their game got canceled this weekend because of a COVID yeah. outbreak. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it, at least in, in the, in the uh, Rust Belt. But I, I will say he also is, seems to be gaining and there seems to be a, a larger turnout of young voters so far that are early voting. We'll see if that trend continues, but um, you know, if the millennial and Gen Z populations can come through, then that actually has implications in states like Georgia and states like Texas uh, that really have been trending in an interesting direction. And Clinton actually lost by less than uh, Democrats had lost there in decades. Like she got it closer than it had been. Um, but we'll see if if that combined with his increased share of the senior vote, his increased share of the white vote, um, along with boosting hopefully some turnout amongst uh, minority voters as well and deliver some interesting states on Tuesday. And I, I, I don't want anyone to think again that like this is a guarantee, but I'm just going off of what I am seeing in the data that I'm looking at. Gotcha. What this reminds me of is, have you ever had the double down sandwich from KFC? I don't think so, but tell me more. Do you know what it is? No, but I would love to hear. So a double down sandwich is is a breadless fried chicken sandwich, uh -huh. meaning that instead of using bread for the sandwich, you you use two fried chicken patties. Naturally. So it basically it's just this disgusting. I mean, it probably ta it tastes great, but it's just this oh, yeah. ridiculous idea of a sandwich. Does <laughs> that the double down? You can look it up. Yeah, yeah. But to me, it's like when you go to KFC, and you know you're used to getting fried chicken. You know, mashed potatoes, maybe some biscuits. You know, that's like you're used to voting. You know, Republican, Democrat, former senator, former governor. You know, what maybe the, the occasional mayor. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But then you go to KFC and you say, "Oh, what's this? This is different. I don't mm -hmm. know what this is going to taste like, but it's different." You know, I think a <laughs> lot of people voted for Donald Trump in 2016 because they just they saw the double down on the menu, and they just said, "You know what?" Let's let's just try this. Let's just try it. And now he's clogged the arteries of America. <laughs> and now and now they have massive <laughs> diarrhea. And they said, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna exactly. go back to just the the KFC bucket. I feel like bucket. there's an analogy. The yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's an analogy somewhere in there to climate change. Also, like you know, everything's gotten so disgusting and dirty that we need to go back to something that was relatively the same as before. <laughs> change our diet. Change our diet. <laughs> Um, so let's pivot now from yeah. the Rust Belt to the South, because this is this is what's fascinating to me, because in 2012, Obama carried Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. but Florida and North Carolina, even Georgia could be up for grabs uh, this this time around. So so yeah. tell me what you hear about the southern swing states. So uh, I think they're looking very interesting right now. And of course, we can't talk about the presidential race without talking also about the Senate races, because that's equally as important. The Democrats hold 47 Senate seats, but one of those seats is being defended in Alabama right now, and that candidate is likely to lose. So if Joe were to win the presidency, he'd also need to pick up four Senate seats, right? Because then Kamala would be the tie-breaking vote. Ideally, they'd want more for cushioning for votes in the Senate, but 
four gets you to 50 and then she is the tiebreaker for um, as she presides over the Senate, which it will be great to have a woman presiding over the Senate. Um, and actually you'd have to, you'd have a woman presiding over the Senate and the House. Interesting. But you said um, that they have 47 senators right now. 47. But one of them is in all likelihood going to lose. So 46. Oh, who's going to lose? And then need Doug Jones in Alabama. Oh, I see. Yeah. You're, you're saying the Republican center is going to win. That makes more sense. Exactly. Exactly. The challenger is going to win. Um, so uh, two of those Senate seats are in Georgia that are being contested right now. One is a just general election. And then one is a special election because one of their senators recently retired. So um, right today actually was an interesting day of polling because it showed Biden pulling ahead more so than he had in Georgia and actually showed him with some consistent leads of like two to three percentage points, which is pretty amazing for a state that hasn't gone Democrat since I think 1992 when it voted for Clinton. Um, But the important thing about Biden potentially doing well there is that they have the opportunity to pick up two Senate seats as well. And also in North Carolina, there is an important Senate race too. Um, So assuming that he could win North Carolina, and he also seems to be ahead there by like one to two points, but it's going to be tough. Um, they could get another Senate pick up there. And then I think the next, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You know, and theoretically the, the concern with, and we can get into this uh, yeah. more later, but the concern with some of these um, Southern states is that there's been voter suppression, gerrymandering in the past, especially North Carolina, and also Georgia with the um, uh, the election, I think was it the mayor, the, the, the governor, mayor, I think like the, the governor, governor in, in twenty eighteen, yeah, governor of Georgia and also North Carolina. There was in twenty six the twenty sixteen presidential election. There was um, there was uh, issues that went all the way up to the courts. I, I believe it was. Maybe I believe that's right. I mean, the um, the one piece of good news that came out, I think it was actually today, is the Supreme Court did say that in North Carolina, they still need to keep counting ballots after election day. So if it's close, there might be mail-in ballots that end up putting it over the edge for him um, and they'll need to count those. I mean, what North Carolina at least has a democratic governor, so I'm less concerned about that state, but Georgia is famous for its voter suppression tactics and especially for disenfranchising voters of color um, especially in urban areas. And, uh, you know, I mean, I just, I find it amazing that like, if you look at the early voting right now, you know, I've never had to wait more than 30 minutes to cast a vote in an election. And there are some people who are down there waiting six hours in line. Well, let's talk about that because so far our analysis of swing states has been pretty much on par as with as as if this were a normal election. Yes. Clearly it's not because of COVID-19. You know, yes. because of social distancing, because of you, you want to. I don't think you can vote outside. That's that's they're not doing that. Um, so how there are some there are some states yeah. that are doing um, drive-through voting. Interestingly enough, that is interesting. Yeah, but um, sorry, what were we gonna ask? So so yeah, so how does COVID and the pandemic and just this crazy election process where I I, I get so many mails saying, "Have you voted yet? Make a plan to vote early." Yeah. How does that uh, impact, um, you know, the way you would normally analyze uh, swing states and and the election? I mean, I think that is 
It's a million dollar that question. Is, that is the million dollar question. I don't, I don't think that anyone really has the answer. Like I said earlier, I mean, we're seeing massive numbers of people voting. Like for instance, in Texas right now, and Texas is going to be a fascinating one to watch, but um, where there's also actually a Senate race, but in Texas, um, the governor of Texas instituted a policy that basically said that in all of, um, I think it's Harris County, and Harris County is a county in Texas that contains Houston, and it's one of the most populous counties in Houston, and it has a population the same size as the state of Rhode Island. He said in Harris County, or in every county in Texas, there can only be one location for people to drop their ballots off at their mail ballots off at mm-hmm. whether so it's 5 million people or 5, whether it's 5 million or five or even 500. There are some tiny counties in Texas. And what you're seeing though, is that 94% of the people who Harris County right now has had 94% of the people who voted in all of 2016, having already voted in 2020 by early voting. So like people have decided that because of that and because of those tactics, they're gonna show up and they're gonna stand in line and they're gonna vote in person to make sure that their vote that their voice gets counted. I think that, you know, there's also if you look back in I think it was April in Wisconsin when there was the Wisconsin primary, um, the Republicans legislature in the state uh, closed almost all of the polling places in Milwaukee except for like six for a population that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, And there was an important judicial election where they were putting, they were voting to put someone on the state Supreme Court. And this was a, you know, tactic by the Republicans to try to suppress the vote. And people ended up waiting in line all day. And that candidate, the woman, this progressive woman, ended up winning with 10 more, ended up winning with a margin of 10%. Percentage points. So I think what I, to my, that basically I'm saying that I think that there is evidence, and I hope it's enough that there are people that are sick of being um, having their vote vote be suppressed, and they are doing whatever they can to overcome it. So that means voting early. That means voting early in person as opposed to mailing in their ballots oh, like dropping or dropping their ballots exactly at a mail in ballot drop off. Okay. Okay. So we it seems that indications are we're actually going to have a higher voter turnout than in 2016. That's what they're expecting. I think um, in 2016, I think there were 130 million people who voted and some people are forecasting, you know, close to 150 million voting this year. So could this just be the norm that in subsequent elections, you know, COVID or no COVID, you can vote for, you know, up to a month in advance, you can drop a ballot off. Yeah, I mean, I think politically, obviously, there is going to be um, if it proves that early voting really did help the Democrats in this election, there's going to be a, a big political fight over it. But I think that. Um, but I mean, isn't that an easy political fight to win if you're a Democrat just saying, hey, greater turnout is better? How can you argue against that? I think that's what they're already arguing, though, and they still try to suppress the vote. But this this is why I actually think the first thing that the Democrats need to do if they're in office and if they do take the Senate is they need to pass a they need to fortify the Civil Rights Voting Act of 1964. And they need to pass and expand voting rights across the country, like a massive national bill. 
because there are just too many people that just aren't able to or go through such hurdles to vote right now. And it's just, it's insane. What does that look like? What are some of the, the things that would be in that bill? It's a great question. I think it's like national standards around um, how many voting sites there are per population in a particular county. I think that it's maybe um, in terms of the gerrymandering and redistricting, maybe putting together some type of independent commission to draw the lines and draw the borders, as opposed to the parties being able to control it themselves, which is how we've gotten to this insane place where we have, where there are some states where like the Democrats win 60% of the votes in midterm elections and only control like 45% of the seats. Um, and I think that there is a lot that- Wait, independent, you mean like the Justice Department or the Supreme Court too soon? Too soon? <laughs> we can get into all that. But uh, I, I, more, I more meant uh, just like a separate private commission that's set up that consists of a combination of potentially Democrats and Republicans, but something that can independently draw the maps outside of like the state legislatures doing so. Gotcha. So um, an anti-gerrymandering. Yes, exactly. And then also the, I mean, also there's all these roadblocks in terms of like the IDs that people need to have and present in certain states in order to be able to vote. And there's a lot of reform that needs to happen there. And I haven't studied like what those are close enough, but I know that it's an issue in a lot of states and could certainly be addressed by a federal mandate. Uh, fingerprints. Finger let's, just, let's just go to fingerprints. Let's just go to fingerprints. I agree. Let's just text in our votes. <laughs> with, a, with a fingerprint. Uh, yeah, I feel like exactly. we have the technology for it. <laughs> why, there why you not? go. I know. Um, I want to <laughs> ask one more key question just on the yes. mechanics of this election. And then on we can, let's go to a segment um, before we get into really some of the issues surrounding climate change. Um, when will we know a winner? What is your prediction? What is the most likely outcome for for when we will will we have will we know the winner Tuesday night? Let's start with let's start there. I think we will know when we will know the winner early Tuesday night. And what I mean by that is as you start to watch some of the initial returns come in, I think if you take a look at watch for some of the rural counties that are going to be coming in from states like Virginia, um, actually even New York, um, Pennsylvania, and Florida. And if you see, if it looks like Trump is winning by similar or the same margins that he won those in in 2016, then we're looking at a close race. If Biden has cut into that by like five to 10%, I think we will know who the person is night of. Okay. And if Biden wins, or let's say like if if, if CNN, you know, declares Biden the winner, let's mm -hmm. just, let's start with that. Um, you know, how long will it, would it take for, for Trump to concede? I, I've been thinking about this one. Um, Cause like, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I don't see him as a very like, in some ways he's so much talk and so little action. You know what I mean? Like he, he lets world leaders walk all over and get the best of him all of the time and seems to always cave in a confrontational situation, be it Emmanuel Macron, be it Vladimir Putin, be it Nancy Pelosi. Like, I think at the end of the day, he's a lot like 
a lot of bullies that we might have known growing up were like, they will talk a big game, but if they are embarrassed or they perceive that they've lost something, they sometimes just put their tail between their legs and walk away. And so I think that, I think there's a chance that he, you know, it's, it's a twofold thing. He could either really try to challenge this election or there is a world in which I really do see him like embarrassingly and quietly just conceding night of. Yeah. I, I think this is where we, we disagree. I think there's no chance that he concedes the night of. Um, it's true that, he, you know, he lets world leaders walk all over him, but he also, he never apologizes for anything. He never admits defeat. He never admits anything wrong. You know, like he never, I, I just see no way, you know, it, you know, may, maybe by Friday he'll say something, but I, I can see him tweeting up okay. a storm on, you know, doing some kind of ambiguous, hard to understand tweets Tuesday night about how, you know, millions well, of true. undocumented yeah. immigrants are voting in Florida and just doing a tweet form no, instead of a concession speech. And he'll, he'll find whatever conspiracy theory, I guess, to glom onto and just amplify that. I mean, it's, my point is I just think it will depend on how close this election happens to be. And we shall see. I mean, I think that there are signals that his party already thinks that he's not going to pull through this. I think there are signals that world leaders don't think he's going to pull through this. Like the other day he um, was on the phone, I think with Netanyahu and he like tried to get Netanyahu to say something about Joe Biden's corruption. And Netanyahu was basically just like, Oh, you know, like we support help from the United States president, whoever it may be. And then Putin actually just came out and said that like, he's never seen any evidence of corruption from Joe Biden. And so it's, there are interesting signs that obviously it doesn't matter until the votes are counted, but um, some interesting things happening. Really interesting. I, I have a conspiracy theory. I don't even like yes, the word out conspiracy there. theory because really it's just a theory. You know, let's, <laughs> let's be honest, the border between conspiracy theory and theories are totally blurred. But Definitely. My conspiracy theory, you can call it that if you want. I just call it a theory. We'll call it a theory. The Democrats have been um, playing up the narrative that Trump could contest the election. And I think smartly, because what it does is that historically, if you thought a, you know, a candidate was was favored, you think, oh, you know, my vote doesn't really count. I'm just voting because it's kind of symbolic. It's my duty to vote. But you don't really think it counts. But in an election that it's not about, you know, Biden winning, but it's about the margin of victory. Right. You no, know, then it really kind of fires up voter turnout because you say like, look, even if it's okay, like even, you know, even if it's New York or California and we know this, you know, this is safe. Sure. Yeah. We yeah. want it. We want it like a, a 70% victory is yeah, run it up, deal. run it up, run up the score. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, that's a, I, no, I totally agree. And I actually think if, if that is a, is a um, accurate theory, then um, they've definitely done a good job with that. And he's definitely done a good job taking the bait. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's, uh, let's pivot to, we have a couple okay. of segments. So yeah. Uh, do you want a fact? Do you want a one word to react to? What kind of what? Do, what oh, do you I kind of I like I like a little rapid fire. A little rapid fire. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's rapid fire. Hmm. 
let's do a, let's, I'm going to say, say a word, you know, a phrase right. you're, you're going to give a one word reaction to it. All right. Obamacare. Important. Trump care. Non hyphen existent. <laughs> one word. Biden care. Expansive. Medicare for all. Goal. Vladimir Putin. Bad. <laughs> Former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Dominates a. <laughs> Former Senator Al Franken. Oh, that's all. <laughs> Former CNN correspondent and New Yorker contributor Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> Sorry, not former. Uh, just suspended. Confusing. I'm just still confused by the whole thing. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with confusing. Netflix guilty pleasure. It has to be one word. It could be one name. Shits. Shits Creek. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been watching that too. That's a great show. I'm on. Yeah, I'm on the last season. I yeah, like sure. I'm three episodes in. I'm on, I'm on the first season. Very good. Yeah. Well, it's, it gets Schitt's better Creek. as it goes along. Yes. Shout out Shits Creek. Um and uh great great characters great actors. Yeah, really. really <laughs> I'll drink. I'll drink to that one. <laughs> Keeps me laughing. <laughs> Well, that was that kind of ruins my next one, uh, which is Netflix genuine recommendation. The last one was Netflix guilty no, no, pleasure. No, um, I don't see why why you're guilty about Shit's Creek. That's a good show. You're right. Am I so, able to reverse it? Am I yeah, able yeah. to Shit's so Creek for this Schitt's one? Shit's Creek yeah. is your genuine recommendation. What's your yeah. guilty pleasure? Okay. Um, see, here's the problem: is that I have a Fire Stick, so all the like different, you know streaming services get mixed up in my head but i guess is um oh what was uh love is blind love is blind sure we're this is that was too many <laughs> words so let so let's go get back to one word answers okay yes I'll, I'll give you a softball here ready mm -hmm. the highest form of art poetry no follow-up. <laughs> the fate of humankind. Put simply, wait, let me let me elaborate. The year we go extinct, or the year we discover how to live forever, including beyond the lifespan of our sun. Twenty eighty-five. Twenty eighty-five. That's within our lifetimes. <laughs> I'm not that hopeful. <laughs> No, no, no. Oh, but that, figure out the technology. Or yeah. Maybe that's the year we go extinct because did you, I think you just predicted the year you're going to die 2085 because when you die, you know, we all go extinct because everything, you know, we're in a simulation, right? So you're right. if you die, no, we all true. go extinct, right? Wait, so what did I just give myself for a lifespan? 90, 90 another 65 two? years, 92, another 65 years under the Trump dictatorship. 
no, 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 no. <laughs> I can do 92. It's fine. <laughs> 92 is pretty good. That's, That's a long life. <laughs> okay. So this is a similar, this is like a segment within a segment. I still want mm-hmm. one word reactions, but basically, so this is how it goes. If you were president, who in your family or extended family, if you want, yeah, no, I'll just keep it family or extended family. Could you appoint to the following cabinet positions and no repeat answers are allowed? Okay. I'm just going to do first name to respect. Does that work? Or do you want first and last? I would say you can do first name, but also for our listeners that don't, you know, don't explain know our family. Yeah. Explain the relationship. Yeah. Got it. All right. So your president can name a family member to one of these cabinet positions. Secretary of the Treasury. Josh Levitt, who's my first cousin. Secretary of State. I have a lot. There's a lot of cabinet positions to fill. Okay. Uh, Alexa <laughs> Levitt, who's also who's Josh's sister. Um, Attorney General. Nana. Is that, That's uh, my grandma. My grandma. It, okay, okay, gotcha. Secretary of the Department of Agriculture. Howard Brick, my father. Or I shouldn't, sorry, I'll use last name. Howard, my dad. Agriculture? Yeah. All right, I'll, let you, I'll let you elaborate on this one. <laughs> so he's, he's just... <laughs> a lifelong farmer? He's, he, no, he's, uh, he's, you know, been around the, the marijuana industry recently. And I feel like that's an agricultural product that's booming right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, okay. can't, I can't think of any other farmers per se... I can see that in our immediate family. That. Yeah, it makes sense. No, okay, makes thank sense. you. Yeah, yeah. The thank you for letting me elaborate. Sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so how about of the Department of Transportation, Secretary? I'd say you. Okay. Department you of disagree? Energy. Disagree. <laughs> oh, go on. Department <laughs> of Energy. a tough one i already used my dad uh well no um i'll just i'll throw a toss out and say julia my first cousin on my dad's side because she's <laughs> she won't do any harm there <laughs> i can't think of anyone else department of education department of education maybe your mom okay department of the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. See, this is the one that I actually should have saved for my dad. But um, but I will, I'll do Marnie Levitt, my aunt, my mom's <laughs> sister. I thought no full names, lots of pseudonyms. Oh right? God, sorry. I'll do Marnie. Okay. <laughs> I've been I've been saying the names. Department of Department of Housing and Urban Development. I would put, this is the one I should have put you in, but I can't put you in there now. I'll put Peter and then you can advise him. <laughs> what about, uh, what about Paul? He's a doctor. That's true. That's He's true. Okay. He, he okay. Can do, he can do HUD. Yeah. He's yeah a doctor. Paul. 
Yeah, any doctors can do that now. <laughs> uh, chief of staff. I mean, Eli. Lab. I was, yeah, I was. I think say. Eli. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> okay, That's my brother. My brother. For anyone listening. All right. All right. Very good. Very. I good. love that. I love that. Okay. So let's talk about the climate, the candidates on yes. climate change. Okay? Yes. That's what the people came came to hear Absolutely. about. Um, so I'll just kind of let you kind of take this one. Um, yeah, just just tell me about how Trump and Biden are different on climate change. Yeah, so I think the key difference is that one of them believes in climate change and one of them does not. And, um, and you know, I mean, back when we were under Obama, we were in the Paris Climate Treaty um, and we're able to have a position on the global stage and we're able to hold various countries as well as ourselves to our emission standards that we signed up for. And um, I know that Biden would enter us back into that. And he also has a climate plan that he's working on or that he's been working on in a task force that includes Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that while it's not the Green Deal that I know that many uh, the Green New Deal that I know that many young progressives really want to see, it certainly at least moves us in that right direction with the goal of becoming uh, net, having net zero emissions reached by no later than 2050. Um, and net, and zero, then, uh, uh, net zero electricity by 2035. Correct. Yes, that too. And also investing in an infrastructure of you know, green and renewable uh, resources across the country, which also would bring with it decent paying jobs, um, especially transitioning out of other fossil fuel industries and out of the oil industry. So, you know, it's not, in, it's not as far as I would like to see in terms of like the crisis that I think we are facing now, but we now have two options and it is far and away the better one. So yeah, and it's it's a the most advanced climate plan any presidential candidate has had. That too. Yeah. Um yeah, and it's it's two trillion dollars. And the idea of you know net zero emissions by by twenty fifty, it's you know, true. You might you could argue, you know, twenty forty, but you know, I think that a lot of cities around the country, their initiatives are their goal is 2050 are better. Yes. Yeah. Their goal, it, not better. Their goal is, is carbon zero by 2050 and oh, then have some, thing. yeah. Yeah. And have some kind of carbon zero, um, you know, for electricity by like 2035. So that's kind of consistent with the Sierra clubs um, initiative on it. And it's, it's hard to get to zero emissions Philadelphia right now. They're, um, you know, very progressive city. Uh, said you know more than eighty percent was for Hillary Clinton in twenty sixteen. It's going to be the same for Biden in, uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Um, they're at eighty percent. Their goal is eighty uh, percent reduction by twenty fifty. So Biden's is is more further along than than Philadelphia's. Mm. So that that's you know. So I Look, think politically, like he's doing as much as he can. He can, and it's it's a first step. It really is. Um, so I agree. As a I climate also... change kind of advocate, mm-hmm. I'm I'm. I'm happy with what I've seen of, of his. And it, it seems like, like he was not always on the climate change train. He's from a different generation, but he's shown the capacity and the humility to, you know, put people around him and, and to change his mind. It's okay to change your mind. It doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you, you know, a person that can evolve and adapt and grow and learn. Um, I so completely, I, I completely agree. 
I completely agree. And I also think that um, the, uh, it seems that the last four years of the current administration has also influenced his understanding of what an important and key issue this is as well. Yes. Yeah. And how, and just how we, we have even less time than we had four years ago to address it. That's so true. And he was one of the big negotiators of the Paris Agreement. Yeah, working in the Obama administration. So he has he has a lot of stake in that. And he probably he might not have done it. I don't know what he did of climate change before that. It might have been nothing, but he did. a He did a lot, you know, uh, in those negotiations, learned a lot, had his eyes opened and, and learned just as any you know politician who surrounds themselves with expert should be expected to. Well, I would make the point, too, that he um, I think an underrated strength of his in general is his international policy chops and the relationships that he has with allies and with leaders around the world. And I have no doubt in his ability to be able to bring a circle of leaders and leadership together to say like, this is something we need to figure out because to your point, he's done it before and now it's an even more dire straits. And the other thing is too, you know, in his selection, honestly, of Kamala, like she's coming from California who has done is a state that has done so much on this front and she has yeah. been in the government for a lot of it. And I, I actually believe as attorney general, I know in the primary there are questions about some aspects of her record, but she's been very, very solid on climate and environmental issues. So, so you know, having her as his number two is also a sign and a signal that it is going to be something taken seriously if they also have the Senate which I want to keep reiterating is just so important uh, as well in terms of getting any of this stuff actually passed through. A hundred percent. And even getting back to where we were four years ago before right. Trump's rollbacks of everything. Well, I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. It's With like a stroke nuts. of a pen. He just took it all it's away. Nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. It's just absolutely nuts. I don't know what, what else more could be said, but I want to, yeah. I do want to talk about fracking because that is, let's, you know, let's do it and get into the wonkiness of it all. And that's something that Biden's been criticized for flip-flopping on, on the campaign trail. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of reading up on this, looking at this today. I have, I'm in Pennsylvania where it's fracking country. It's the largest, maybe second largest producer of natural gas in the country. Um, but what do you tell me about Biden? So, What's going on here? Explain I'm going to be I'm just I'll be completely honest. I know that you said that I know everything about politics, but I think you are probably more of an expert on the issue of fracking than I am. Um, my understanding is in what Biden has said and what the plan would be going forward is that existing fracking would continue, but there would be no new fracking that would take place um, and there would be no fracking happening on Uh, federal grounds, which is what the Trump administration is currently doing. Um, And I think, you know, I think this is also just one of the like shitty things about politics or sorry, I don't know what this podcast is rated, but the, the uh, negatives on politics is that in a state like Pennsylvania, to your point, like there are just, there are so many jobs that come with, uh, with fracking in the state. And I think that there is certainly a political aspect to him not saying that he would ban fracking. And I, I don't know, I don't know in reality what, what that's gonna look like after the election if he gets elected. Um, but what have, what have you heard about it? What have you read up about it? Because I really do think you'd be more knowledgeable on this particular one than I am. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, well, Pennsylvania 
has historically been coal country for a long time. And, you know, you have Philadelphia on the, in the East part of the, the state and you have uh, Pittsburgh on the West, they have the two cities. And in between is a lot of Trump Pence signs. I, mm-hmm. I made the drive from Philly to Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago. A lot. We got detoured. There was an accident in the tunnel. So we went on some of the back roads. There's a lot of Trump Pence signs out there. That is the old coal country. But, you know, since coal has kind of, you know, been been going, let's just let's be frank about it, op, more obsolete or it's been decreasing. Um, natural gas has been kind of t- has, has stepped into the void. And natural gas is it's a more not see the word natural is kind of a, a misnomer. People don't really understand that it's still a fossil fuel. All right. So it still emits carbon emissions. Natural gas does. Um but it's more efficient than coal. So a lot of the existing emissions reductions that you know Donald Trump is boasting about um, is is mostly about the shift from coal to natural gas. Mm-hmm. So we we are emitting. I mean, we're still emitting more than ever because we're just producing more natural gas than we did coal. Um, but kind of that per capita sort of like the reductions we have by those metrics we have is a lot of that is due to, to natural gas. Um, the problem is to get to net zero carbon emissions, yeah. the UN says, like everyone says we need to do like all the con- every other country in the world says we need to do, you know, by their signing on to the Paris Agreement. Except for us in like Saudi Arabia, I think. Except for us in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> no, no, I think even Saudi Arabia is on. Oh, they might have. You're right. They might have actually. It was Sy- yeah. Syria got delayed <laughs> because they were in a civil war, but they eventually got on board uh, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. We're, we're in an information civil war. Great. But um, yeah, so mm-hmm. natural gas is kind of this transition um, energy source between coal and renewables because it's yeah. more efficient than coal, but it's not the long-term answer because it's still emits carbon. But I think, I think that is my understanding in, in watching the debates and watching his speeches is that is the way that he has been framing it as a transition right. to renewables. A hundred percent. So, so this is, this is what I was thinking about today. Like we, we yeah. talk about nuance all the time. Yeah. Right? It's not about continue fracking or ban fracking. It's not that, you know, it's not, that's not the, the choice. What nuance really means is a timed approach. It means phasing. So mm-hmm. when you, so the nuance to this is yes, you want to ban fracking, but in the long run by 2050, okay? And you need to phase it out. And that's what he said. He said he said uh, two things um, from what I understand about fracking. I, I listened to that soundbite today to prepare. Um, mm-hmm. you're welcome listeners, I'm not just spewing <laughs> this information here, but when he was asked about fracking, we know that he kind of has a speech impediment and he stumbles. He could say, they said, would you, would you ban fracking or whatever? And everyone else on, was saying they're banned fracking in the Democratic primary. And he said, like, yeah, like, a primary. Uh-huh. He said, he said, yes, yes. I mean, you know, I mean, I would, what I would do is I would stop the subsidies for fracking right now. The government subsidizes the fossil fuel business, including for, yeah. for fracking. He wouldn't ban fracking, but eventually to get to net zero in 2050, you can't have fracking anymore. So that's what I, I'm saying. So he wouldn't ban fracking, not in his term, but you would create a plan to phase it out. All right. And well, then I said he would ban fracking on federal lands. That was the other thing. Yeah. The, the other um, 
in terms of this phasing, the other thing that I do want to mention that I actually, some people thought it was, uh, it was potentially a gaffe, but I actually thought was a very strong moment of his was when he said in the last debate that he was also going to phase out oil because politically that could be like a problem in a state, for instance, like Texas, but he very clearly said why it's important to do so. And, and it's by yeah. 2050. It's not by 2024. Right. Right. And so the other the other thing, though, that I do want to emphasize for anyone who's listening and people who, you know, may or may not may have been on the fence about voting for certain establishment candidates, so to speak, like a Biden or Hillary Clinton um, and may want to see, you know, someone who's more progressive of like the Warren and the Bernie angle get into office. um, I just really want to hammer home the point that like what you're saying is exactly right. We're talking about getting to a place by 2050. But what that means is that we need the leadership in the right positions between now and 2050 so that things don't get rolled back. So I guess from like my passion point of like really caring about the politics side of it and the get out the vote side of it is, you know, in future elections, even if you're not enamored with the choice that you have of, say the Democratic candidate, I do think that it's important sometimes to look at these bigger pictures and think like, who is going to keep us on the path that we need to stay on, especially for an issue like this that is so important and so critical. And this is such a crisis because I don't think personally that we can afford to have another Donald Trump-like person, not even in his personality, but in his politics, roll us back again. Like we're just, we're running out of time. And so I just- Keep voting is what and, I would say. Yeah, and more than that, like let if you're a candidate and you say that we're gonna ban fracking point blank in my first term in office, all right, in, in Pennsylvania, A, you're not gonna win Pennsylvania and you're not gonna win the election. B, people in people aren't going to have heat because we don't have enough, we don't have enough right. wind that's, and solar to get to heat that's, homes. That's to, a good point. To like, you know, fill our, our, our trucks or our subways. Right now, right now, a, a lot of what's what's happening in planning is they're trying to, for this transportation sector, you named me chief secretary of the Department of Transportation. Mm-hmm. The move is from oil-based transportation to natural gas. That's what, that's mm. what people are doing to be more, climate efficient we're not at the point yet where we can electrify plus the electricity is generated from natural gas right not not only that the other the 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 largest component the thing that would fill the void of natural gas we're not nearly ready for wind wind solar it's just not enough but it would be nuclear but a lot of candidates in the democratic primary you know warren uh, sanders they were anti-nuclear too yeah i would i would say um that what I think is key that uh, that Biden has been talking about, especially in the general that I hope is getting through, is he's talking about building an infrastructure to get us there. And that is like the scaffolding and the foundation to be able to transition into it. And to your point, like the other things will need to exist for the time being until we can get there. Look, Jer- Jeremy, like I really agree. I agree 100%. I think that there's a chance that if Biden wins, I think that there's a chance that by 2024 climate change is, I don't want to say it's not a politicized issue anymore, but I would, I would say like, I I just think like having, (laughs) it would move the discussion from is climate change a hoax? You know, like right now it's climate change exists. No, it doesn't. 
yeah. it would move the discussion to, you know, is 2050 a reasonable target? You know, what percentage needs to be electric? And we'd actually ha- start having adult conversations about how to solve the problem. Really? You, that's, um, I think so because he, like even, even John McCain, he was like in favor of climate change oh, well, measures. John, Rest John McCain peace. was a, was a Republican of a different ilk in my opinion. I, I was actually watching some, some, I don't know why, but I came across some John McCain interviews on YouTube yesterday and then like went down a rabbit hole watching them. And I was like, Oh my God, I miss this guy so much. This, uh, you know, this, uh, standard of what a, someone who I disagreed with politically, but what like a Republican statesman used to be and used to sound like, man. Right, yes. Um, rest in peace. Let's take a break real quick. I have some well, facts about whales that I want to read to you. Oh, thank you. And I yes. just want, I just want your reaction. We just need, need a little therapy. We just need to start thinking about I, the majesty of whales. Yes. They have a purpose. Oh, it's a, yeah, yeah, sure. Get it? <laughs> it's, their cousin. it's a different animal. They're cousins. I know. The blue whale has a cousin, Jeremy. That's a porpoise. Yeah. Um, but aren't, aren't porpoises toothed whales? I thought they still are within like the whale family. Anyways, I'm excited to hear some whale facts. Look, there's a, por- there's a porpoise to uh, these whale, this, <laughs> this segment. Right. Absolutely. Cool. Let's start with the blue whale. All right. It's the okay. largest animal that's ever lived, larger than any dinosaur by far. It can grow to 90 or more feet. It can weigh as much as 24 ele- elephants. That's, that's more wow. than 330,000 pounds. This is from uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Yeah. Um, blue whales, they're the largest animals on the planet. They're as long as, okay, this, this is actually a really good um, way of thinking about it. So the okay. blue whale, is as long as three, three back-to-back school buses, and it has a heart the size of a car. A heart the size of a car. Yes. Wow. I mean, I'm looking at some images of this thing, right? Oh, here's one that compares a school bus to a blue whale, huh? Wow. That's I mean, that's unfathomable. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a good reaction. All right, next whale fact. Okay. So male humpback whales now, humpback whales mm-hmm. found in the U.S., they sing complex songs in the winter breeding areas and waters mm-hmm. near, they breed in near Hawaii and the Caribbean. Their songs, their songs can last up to 20 minutes. Okay, that's like Pink Floyd, Grateful Dead live territory. Oh, uh, Yeah. And those, yeah. the songs can be, not only do they last 20 minutes, but the songs, they can be heard miles away. So think about this, Jeremy, before you just- I'm thinking, yes, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Because you're going to interact with the whole thing. So when we think of language, we think, oh, the human beings have the most complex language of any animal. Of, of course we think that because we're egomaniacs, right? But- we can't, our voices can't be heard miles away, you know, and we can't like form sentences that are 20 minutes long. I mean, in a speech, if it's prepared, sure. Okay. But miles away, like that's pretty impressive. Go. I mean, first I'd, I'd say uh, that you haven't heard me belt in a while, but, um, <laughs> but I, this one I did know as a fellow singer um, about my humpback whale friends. Uh, but it is, it is very true. I would say that uh, 
just in general, there is a lot that we think about ourselves and that we put on ourselves in terms of uh, our abilities as human beings. And then when you hear um, just certain natural facts, I think it just blows our abilities out of the water. And I think that we should, I wish that we did a better job of, of really like trying to understand some of the creatures that we share this planet with, especially honestly like whales and dolphins and mammals under in the ocean, because I think they're all so fascinating. It really does. As you said, blow our abilities out of the water. That was a whale of a pun, Jeremy. It was all purposeful. <laughs> all right. Bowhead whales. Okay. So this, this is a, a kind of whale that's found in the Arctic. They can live for more than 200 years. So let's put that in perspective. 200 years ago is 1820. All right. That's the, you know, the beginning of industrialization. It wasn't until the 1880s when coal was first used to generate electricity for homes. Um, and it wasn't until 1859 that oil was first used in the United States. So there's some bowhead, bowheaded whales out there that's, you know, older than our use of oil. Do you think there's ever How been nuts like is a that? There's, there's that's, whales that's, alive right now from pre-industrial times. Well, just from a historical perspective, I'm also like, that means there are whales alive from before the Civil War, which is why. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, do you think any of them ever like, you know, <clears throat> let's say swam near like San Francisco or something or like one of these major coastal cities back in 1820 and like peeked up out of the water and then just, you know, left and we're just swimming in the ocean for like 150 years and came back to check out what had happened and just looked up from like, what the hell has happened here? It could be. Like, I mean, yeah. And like, think about, you know, scuba divers and scientists today, like oceanographers who are, you know, making documentaries about the destruction of the coral reefs. You know, I wonder if whales are peeping over at San Francisco and saying like, Oh my God, like, the coast is being destroyed. You know, it's like <laughs> like skyscrapers is is the coral bleaching of the coast. Right, right. <laughs> wow. Right. I wonder if I wonder if they're currently like tracking any of these whales that are down there. I mean, they could in theory oh, yeah. follow for like life after. Yeah, man. Tons. Amazing. I thought the turtles lived the longest out of any animal on earth. So I didn't. I oh, did might. not know this. No, no, I didn't say that the whales live. The no, but I think this is longer than uh, than a turtle's lifespan. Comparable, yeah, yeah. Well, and some, I mean, some trees. Trees are a whole different segment, yeah. um, but some trees are thousands of years old. They're older than, you know, I mean, Jesus easily. <laughs> Definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, last whale fact. Last whale so, fact. So, so. This is from the Canadian Wildlife Federation. So, you know, this, oh. this fact might be out there a little bit. Um, okay. Whales. I mean, come on. Like they put, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Never mind. Whales, they help fight climate change. Did you know that? I did not know that. I would love to hear more. With their poop. <laughs> with their poop. Their fertilizer. Their poop acts as a fertilizer for phytoplankton. Phytoplankton are tiny plants in the ocean. It's from the Canadian Wildlife Federation. Yeah. Pull carbon from the atmosphere while producing oxygen. 
In fact, phytoplankton produce 80, 50 to 85% of the oxygen we breathe, meaning every breath we take, shout out to Sting and the police, contains oxygen produced by the ocean. Wow. Which is in turn produced by whale's poop. Wow. Wow. This is, see, this is why we need more whales. We need more whales to get more poop. <laughs> All right, we're moving on to another segment real quick. Okay. Because I've just done a lot of talking. We're citing these great. facts. So they were great facts. They were great facts. Thank you. Thank you to uh, Noah and the Canadian Wildlife Federation. This is a little segment we call Talk About It. My favorite question journalists mm-hmm. ask people at press conferences, they just say, hey, well, you know, talk about the game last night, LeBron. Just talk about it. You know, talk about that play. Or they ask, uh, you know, the press secretary, like, like, talk about, you know, the Trump's tweet. I don't know. Anyway, so segment's called Talk About It. I'm going to say a topic and you're going to have, you're going to have to talk about this for at least one minute. So I'm going to get my stopwatch out on my phone. And if you want to go, you know, more for more than a minute, I'm not going to stop you if you go for two. Okay. But at two, you're going to cut me off. Um. At two, no, you're wel- you can keep going, but you're welcome to cut yourself off. Great. But all right, so so you ready? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the topic, and then I'm going to start the timer. The first topic is, I don't know, maybe this is what you would have expected. First topic, talk about it, Jeremy. Talk about climate change. Uh, so I think that climate change is the biggest existential threat to humanity right now. And uh, I don't think that we're doing enough about it. I mean, I don't think I'll say personally, I don't think I do enough about it, uh, myself in my day-to-day life. So I'm constantly trying to think about, um, ways that I can be more environmentally friendly. Uh, but I also think that we're not doing anything about it or enough about it as a society. Uh, I think that there is, there seems to be a real, just, generational gap in terms of recognizing the importance of needing to address the warming and the changing climate of our planet. Uh, I, I think, I guess the, the thing that I have been just like most floored by is in terms of bringing it back to politics for a second is that, you know, we can have, for instance, an entire coast of this country that's literally on fire. And as a direct result of climate change, and yet have an entire political party that refuses to accept or acknowledge its reality. And in a sense, they refuse to do so because the states that are on fire are not the states that are voting for them. Although the states that are voting for them are hit hard by other um, disastrous things. Uh, it's just, I, I just continue to be baffled at how this can be any type of partisan question or issue. Um, and it's also wild to me that like this is an area these days where like some segments of the private sector are well ahead of what we need to be doing than like our own government. So, um, you know, I think I look at climate change through uh, an existential lens and then also through the political lens of just continuing to be frustrated and baffled as to why nothing is being done about it on a massive bipartisan level. Two minutes. Exactly. That was fantastic. Great. All right. Next topic, the economy. Talk about the economy. I think for whatever reason, there's this notion that like the economy is wrapped up in the stock market. And 
the vast majority of Americans don't actually own stock. And so that's always been a very confusing uh, framing of it for me. I mean, for me, I think that like, in terms of thinking through economics it's, and thinking through the economy, it's about like just the day-to-day of putting food on the table, of making sure that you can work a job that's gonna pay a decent wage to support you and your family. Um, and I think even, you know, when we talk about like the unemployment rate, sure, under the first couple of years of like this, this administration currently, the unemployment rate was very low. Uh, there were still people who were working like two to three jobs at a time to try to make ends meet and to try to get by. And I think that, um, I don't know, I just think that as a whole, we have a very uh, warped view of what it means to have a good versus a bad economy. And one of the things actually that I will say that I think is important to note is that um, this I remember going to actually an Elizabeth Warren talk where she talked about how like since deregulation since the 80s, since Reaganomics basically, um, the disparity between the top like 5% in this country and the bottom 95% of this country is just like gone like this, you know, and moving in opposite directions. And the wealth gap has gotten so large that like the our middle class is essentially hollowed out. And for whatever reason though, that is not, that's not the framing that our like media puts around whether the economy is doing a good job because they look at overall wealth in this country as opposed to where the wealth is accumulated. I think that was a little bit of a rambling answer, but that is what comes to mind when you tell me to talk about the economy. That's a good answer. The Gini coefficient, G-I-N-I, that's a measure of inequality. So shout Mm -hmm. out to the Gini coefficient. Exactly two minutes again. Um, Healthcare. Talk about healthcare. I think healthcare is a right. I think that uh, in an ideal, uh, I mean, I, I think that this is a country that just I, it's similar to climate change. Well, no, it's different than climate change because I don't know why we can't seem to figure out what so many other countries have managed to figure out in terms of providing affordable care. And I'm not saying that other countries don't do it per- like do it perfectly, but I'm saying that we can't seem to do it at all. And we can't seem to get um, rid of the influence that like lobbyists and the pharmaceutical companies and the drug companies just have in terms of like, the chokehold and the lobbying and the control that they have over some of our elected representatives and what our government is and is not willing to put forth in um, in terms of healthcare reforms or healthcare plans. I also like, it's just, so I live in Massachusetts and I've lived in Massachusetts my whole life. The person who instituted universal healthcare in Massachusetts that was then used as the, you know, as the outline for Obamacare was Mitt Romney and it was Romney care when it was here. Like, so it, 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 what we currently have is actually a Republican plan and a Republican outline. And it is still so much more conservative than so many other counterparts of ours in the Western world. And it's, I'm glad that Medicare for all and that conversation is happening and that it's on the table. And I think that's the direction to move towards. And I think that the plan that Biden has put forth of expanding into a public option uh, gets us one step closer. And so anyone who cares about getting to Medicare for all, I think should really strongly consider supporting his plan that's on the table right now. It's a great point about Romney care for sure. One minute, 50 seconds. That was pretty good. Wow. Okay. Foreign policy. Talk about foreign policy. I mean, 
<laughs> I mean, we, I mean, it's a mess. I don't know what to say. We All have, right, let's we begin, have, beginning uh, with China. Let's talk about China. Okay. okay. Um, I think China has really used the last four years to um, move past us in terms of their standing in the world, because I think that within Trump's whole America first ideology, what he really has done is he really has pushed away allies that are important for us to have and are important for us to um, maintain confidence with on the world stage, specifically uh, leaders in the EU, um, Canada, Japan. And I think that in the absence of US leadership over the past four years, China has been able to strengthen a lot of their relationships with those counterparts um, that uh, I think it is going to be challenging to try to repair. Because I do think that China is a competitor and is an adversary to us, just in the sense of like intellectual property theft. And to, um, I mean, there are various human rights abuses in China. Uh, so that I'd say would be China. And then I, in general, I mean, this is, we currently have a leader who seems to want to um, suck up and be friends with, with dictators around the world than with democratically elected uh, leaders and individuals across Europe. And maybe if he had listened to some of our counterparts in Europe, we wouldn't be in the coronavirus situation that we are currently in. Because even though these European nations are having to go back to previous lockdowns and restrictions that were in place back in the spring, like they at least over the summer got to be out and got to like experience quote unquote normal life again. And we just haven't, and we aren't, and we're not going to be able to, and we're really going into a bad time for this pandemic again. And yeah, I just, I think that our, um, the trust in our allies over the last, trust that our allies have in us over the last couple of years has been eroded and hopefully can be repaired because we need to all work together, especially on an issue like climate change. Mm. I got two more for you. Okay. Ooh. That, that was your longest one yet, by the way, that was, it was long. two, minutes, two yeah. minutes and 30 seconds. That was great. Um, infrastructure. Talk about infrastructure. This is another one where I don't quite understand why our country can't be in a place that other countries are in around the world. I mean, it. we have a crumbling infrastructure system, I think, across the entire country. Um, I think that it, uh, yeah, I, I just, it's another one where I don't understand why there isn't a bipartisan effort to actually make a federal investment into all of our bridges, roads, trains, transportation, et cetera. I just, I think we have a very weak infrastructure system. I don't really have too much more to say about that subject, but it's. Yeah. Uh, that, that was your first fail. That's only 40 seconds. Oh, okay. Um, noted. Uh, talk about <laughs> your move. This is the last one. Talk about your move from New York city to Boston and maybe the difference between these two cities, how they compare how they how they suit you um just just to just talk about it yeah i so my reasoning for moving back to boston where i'm from originally is uh i was working in new york i was actually working in like the business side of broadway theater <laughs> which was which was interesting but um but it wasn't something that i was uh continuing to enjoy in the same way that i thought i would when i first started and at the same time i was also doing a lot of 
volunteer work on the um, Clinton campaign at their headquarters in their Brooklyn office, which was their national headquarters. Um, and I was doing a lot of volunteering around um, phone banking, yes, but then also um, fundraising uh, and was really enjoying that. And then after the 2016 election, when I, you know, realized that we were living in a world that I, I didn't think that we were living in, um, I felt that I wanted to do something that was a bit more fulfilling just with my life and with my time. Uh, and so I, I thought about a transition into the nonprofit space and uh, pretty much all of my connections within the nonprofit world were back here in Boston. Um, and so that I think combined with at that time a need to be uh, just a bit closer to like my family and a lot of the friends that I'd grown up with, even though I had and have wonderful friends in New York, uh, it made sense for me to move back here to this city. Um, you know, New York is big and New York is dense and New York can be very overwhelming. And I just, I think it's an amazing city in so many ways, but also just like physically working in Times Square and physically being in Manhattan every single day, surrounded by these like massive buildings. Sometimes it felt like I was like trapped inside of an urban jungle almost. And so what I do love about being in Boston is that there are so many, uh, especially living in Cambridge, there's so many different parts of the city and feels to the city that I can get to easily by taking public transportation or by walking. And I think it's actually a very walkable city in a way that, that New York is not really outside of the grid system in Manhattan. Um, and yeah, I just, I've really enjoyed being back here. And I think, you know, most importantly, really, um, it was important to be uh, with family and that important, like if we're talking about, you know, climate therapy, et cetera, important to make sure that I had the right um, support system and people around me uh, that I love and trusted and that like really brought me joy and that I wanted to see in my life all the time. Fantastic. That tied for your record with uh, huh. foreign policy, two minutes and 21 seconds. Okay. So only one fail. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, last segment, I got a few, yeah. few rapid fire questions for you. Amazing. So, so what's your plan to vote? So I've already voted. I voted early. I voted last Thursday. It was very easy. I went to, um, I have a friend who I voted with the last couple of elections. And so she and I met up and went to uh, an early voting location that's about a 15 minute walk from my apartment. It was really easy. Everything was very sanitary. The poll workers were great. Um, and yeah, it felt really good casting my ballot. The one thing I will say is that in Massachusetts, they are not handing out the I voted stickers because of like state COVID guidelines. And I was not happy about that because I love those stickers. I need to find another way to get them now. When will we get a vaccine? I think it, when will there be a vaccine or where, when will we be distributing a vaccine? Uh, both. I think there will be a vaccine in early 2021, I think that de it'll depend who's in office and what the plan is for nationwide distribution. That makes but sense. assuming things go the way that I hope they go, summer of 2021, maybe yeah. for a wide scale. I hope. Yeah. I hope you're right. Yeah. I mean, I hope it's sooner, but that's uh, that's uh, realistically, if there are actual experts in charge, what I could see happening. 
who is the president on January 1st, 2021? Well, Donald Trump, because the inauguration isn't until January 20th. Sorry, January 21st. Um, uh, oh God, I don't want to jinx anything, but based on what I'm seeing. Don't, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. He didn't say it. Okay, I didn't say it. Um, who's say the president it. in 2025? It's a good question. Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, I have to go with who I would assume would be the front runner at this point, considering what I think and hope will happen. So I would say Kamala. I don't think, but I don't think Biden. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. In that case, who's the president in 2024? <laughs> well, wait, 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 2024. You just said 2025. I did. You said Kamala oh, in 2025. Oh, oh, but, oh, 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 but is she um, the president in 2024 also? No. No, no. Okay. You think no. Biden lasts four years? Yes. Okay. Who's the president in 20, 2029? I guess it's maybe <laughs> Kamala. Also. Uh, I get, well, yeah, because it would then my answer would stand. But do you want to do 2030? Three, <laughs> go that far out. AOC. No, I don't. I don't. Um, what Ariana year, Presley. What year will we get to net zero carbon emissions? I'm going to go optimistic, and I'm going to say 2060. That's optimistic. That's ten years after. Biden. I know. I know. I know. But I think that it'll be tough to get to that number. But I yes. think the progress will still be happening in that direction. What year will we get to Medicare for all? Let me just remind you before you answer this, before I asked what year you think humans will go extinct in. No, I'm sorry. I know. 2085. I'm I'm fully fully aware. (laughs) I'm just trying to process it throughout my lifetime of what I'm saying here now. Uh, Okay. Um, well, Let's I should clarify. Say, it's not go extinct, but it was go extinct or find the holy grail to the yeah. elixir of life. Okay. <laughs> all right. I will say okay. Medicare for all in 2029 during Kamala's second term uh, after she wins re-election. <laughs> then that would free that would free him up to be able to do that. <laughs> okay. Um, over under. Uh-huh. I love these are great questions over under 29 days. Donald Trump spends in jail in his lifetime. I'll take the over on that. (laughs) I'll take the over. (laughs) Maybe wishful thinking, but I'll take the over. Interesting. Over under five and a half months. Donald Trump Jr. spends in jail in his lifetime. Um, uh, he, I think, under. I think the investigators are going to go for the big Kuna and the others will be, you know, that's how a lot of these investigations work is you work your way up and you get all these deals and then people cut deals and then you get the big guy in charge. That's, a, that's an interesting uh, nuance there uh, between... Trump senior, the over Trump junior, the under. Very interesting. What is Obama's next chapter? What is he doing next? 
uh, I think he'll go to the Silicon Valley and do something within like tech or renewable energy and make a lot of money and keep on looking as good as he does. That's a fine man right there. <laughs> hey, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. <laughs> um, all right. I want to just talk a little bit about uh, how to, how to stay sane and hopeful. Okay. Yeah. Like this is a stressful time, you know, even before all this, even in, you know, spring of 2016, we still we had climate change to contend with, and that was that's stressful. Um, so just given like the um, the twenty four seven, you know, Trump tweets this, you know, Trump tweets that, everything's going on with that. He said, she said, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all this, you know, yep. uh, COVID. Uh, how do you stay oh, sane and hopeful uh, in these times? Like, what what do you how do you make good use of your idle time and mm-hmm. keep your head on your shoulders? It's a great question. I'd say for starters, for anyone listening, don't do what I do and consume news all the time. Make sure you're taking breaks. <laughs> where, where do you, which uh, news channel, what, what do you consume? Uh, you know, it's mostly, I mean, I follow sort of the Hill every single day on Facebook, like just to get the headlines of what's happening um, and sort of like refresh it throughout the day. And then I listen to the daily in the morning um, and then just occasionally like go on Twitter and see what's trending, but it's not, it's not a healthy it's not healthy. <laughs> you should not do that. Do Although have- listening to the daily every morning is, is, would be fine. Mm-hmm. Do you have a Twitter handle? I, I don't, I do, but I don't like, I never tweet or use it. Um, Who's your favorite um, on air news personality? Um, I think I, I just want to, I want to make sure I'm getting her name right. It's Yamish is her, yeah, Yamish Alcindor from um, PBS. I also actually like, um, well, I mean, Kristen Walker was amazing at the debate, and I actually have been impressed with her um, her segments on NBC too, so shout out to her as well. And then for guys, I, I like, um, I do like Jake Tapper. Um mm-hmm. And let's see. And I, I, I like Anderson Cooper. It's just, mm-hmm. I'd hang out with him. Seems like a good guy. I like the Cuomo brothers. Yes, 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 I do. I, but especially when they're together. Yeah, they, they remind <laughs> me of, uh, you know, you and Eli a little bit. Man. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah you witnessed a lot of, uh, a lot of, Jeremy Eli fights growing up that I feel like are similar to what the Cuomo brothers probably went through also. (laughs) Wait, but can I just go back to the sane and hopeful one for one second? Please. Okay. Cause I do think that it's important. Um, a to with, I might be being, yeah, I'm being too loud now. My roommate's trying to go to sleep. So I'll (laughs) quiet down a little bit, but, um, but I think, uh, it's really important that, you know, especially as the days get shorter and as um, the cold is coming in, and I personally am someone who loves the cold, but I know that not everybody does, but um, that on the days that are nice and on the days that are beautiful, that people get outside and experience the fresh air and experience nature. And I also think that it's crucial, especially during these times, um, to... Like, let's, let's just be honest. These are difficult times 
from like a mental health perspective for everyone, not just about the climate. I mean, we are, this is tough and, and it's lonely and it's lonely. Third, third at at (laughs) highest on the list for people between politics and COVID for sure. It's our, yeah, but, but you know, it's, it is a lonely time too. And I think that, um, and this is something that's of just particular relevance to me in the past couple of weeks, just with, um, some friends and some conversations that I've had, like, just make sure that you are leaning on the support systems that you have, that if it's family, talk to family, be outside with family. If it's friends, talk to friends, be outside with friends, but also recognize that if you aren't feeling, if you aren't feeling hope right now and you are feeling like you're in a tough place, that that is okay. And it's okay to tell someone that and it's okay to get the support that you need for that. Hmm. Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, speaking of sane and hopeful, Thanksgiving 2021. I know. What's your Are prediction? we going to do? You said well, we'd have first, a vaccine by summer 2021. So if we have vaccine by summer 2021, I think Thanksgiving 2021 is on. Maybe two Thanksgivings. Maybe one in the maybe, summer, one in the fall. Or maybe just like one on Friday, one on Saturday. We just eat double the amount of food. Four, I know. I was going to ask. I was going to ask if right if we um. If you think we should do, are we doing a virtual football game this year? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it would be so nice. Like even in in May, you know, you would think that there'd be more testing or it'd be better, like even a picnic or some kind of thing, you know? I think that exactly what you were talking to my Nana about on her butt right. call to you when is she what we should do. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I, I can't wait. It's going to be a, yeah. a really difficult thanksgiving for a lot of people Uh, but hopefully hopefully speaking of hope that's the Mm -hmm. other thing like the election is kind of a cause for hope it's a cause for a a lot of anxiety yes but it's also it's a cause for hope you know there's crossed yes about how kind of we could be feeling pretty good i was gonna say how how different it could be literally a week from today so very yeah thursday very differently. A lot is going to happen. It's kind of amazing. Um, I want just your final predictions. I'm just going to name a swing state and you're going to tell me who it's going to go for. This is, right. this is really stressful. The road, <laughs> the road to 270. Well, you, you know more about it. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. I'm, but you know, I will, again, I'm going just based off the data that I'm seeing currently right now. <laughs> don't just to preface forget it. the data. Okay. Okay. Uh, take that for data. Just okay. go on you know, what you believe in your heart. Yeah. Florida, 29 electoral votes. Biden. Whoa, that would be shocking. They got a Republican governor. They went, they've gone red uh, years me, in the past. So I would, I would just say that I think that his margins are looking similar to Obama's 08 margins, but even in 2008, when Obama won by like eight points, he only won Florida by two points. So it's just a very inelastic state. So I think if it will be very close one way or another. Incredible. Pennsylvania, 20 electoral votes. Biden. Ohio, 18 electoral votes. Trump. Interesting. Why, why Trump, Ohio? Because I think that even in the 2018 midterms, Ohio didn't really see the shift that a lot of other Midwestern states saw in terms of the suburbs turning against Trump and back to the Democrats. 
and polls are a lot closer there than they are in in the other um, Midwest states. Mm. Right. The, the Guardian's poll uh, today, um, where they aggregate a bunch of polls, has Trump mm. also ahead in Ohio. Michigan, mm. 16 electoral votes. Biden. North Carolina, 15 electoral votes. Biden. Arizona, 11 electoral votes. Biden. I mean, this is kind of what the polls are saying, and you're echoing it, but we know we can't. Oh, it makes, still makes me nervous. Wisconsin, I, uh, 10 electoral none, votes. Biden, but to clarify, none of what I'm saying, I'm saying without a sense of utter nervousness and dread. So just to make it clear. Iowa, six electoral votes. Trump, but I think that the Senate seat will go Democrat. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so in 2016, Hillary won the popular vote by, what was it, two million, two and a half million? Three million. Three million. Three million. Um, what do you think the margin is for the popular vote in 2020? Eight million. Eight million. Wow. Seems like a lot. Eight million. I think so. I think if this was a longer, if we had more time, I'd go into all of my opinions about the electoral college and what an archaic system it is but uh we will we can save that for another day <laughs> yeah well jeremy it's it's been a pleasure having you i, I learned a uh, lot so it's okay good no, 10 o'clock I now i don't want to you know keep you yeah. up i think uh, uh you know cuomo prime time is about to come on so we yeah. i know we both have to <laughs> watch that. exactly um, no i um i hope that you were able to get uh, some good stuff from this and thank you for having me on and just beyond anything else it's so nice as always to see your face and to talk to you um and please tell your whole family that i miss them and i send them my best and i can't wait until we can all be together uh as a fam again Understand. Well, you you just answered my last question, which was, uh, do you have any final thoughts? But uh, I'll just ask it again in case you had you thought of any. Do you have any final thoughts about whales or anything else? I think whales are amazing animals that we just don't currently understand as a society, and clearly What's we need to. Most underrated mammal. Uh, or, sorry, I said mammal. Just animal in general. What's the most underrated animal that you think uh, I sh- we should look up some more facts about uh, that I should maybe prepare for our listeners for next time? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I feel like a mongoose. mongoose. They don't really get talked about, but they, you know, they go after like very poisonous, venomous snakes. Like they are cute, fluffy, furry, but also ferocious. Right. It's a goose, but it also like climbs trees and eats bananas. Yeah, you could say that. It's a mo- it's a mongoose. <laughs> yeah, it's a mongoose. Mongoose <laughs> for plural. Okay, when they travel in flocks. <laughs> yes, I think so. Okay. All right. Jeremy, stay safe. Uh, you know, stay sane and stay home, my friend. My, my best. Sounds good. You as well, my friend. And cousin. All right. I'll, I'll send you a link once I uh, package this whole episode together. And uh, I'm going to stop recording. You're going to stay on the line and uh, you know, we'll share a, a final drink together. Uh, my cousin.